Hope you have a Bible with you this morning and uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue this series of messages around the theme of living joyfully. And as you're finding that, you know, I, I, I'm a sports fan. I, I like a wide variety of, uh, of sports. I, I don't worship at the idol of sports. Uh, and I, I share the concern of many with some of the trends and some of the ways that it seems sometimes to get a way out of proportion, whether that's on a, a little league level or a, or a professional level, but but overall, I still I, I really really enjoy sports, and one of the reasons is is because I, I think very often in sports when it's at its best, and I, first to admit it's not always at its best, but when it's at its best, uh, a lot of times sports can kind of embody uh, a lot of values and life lessons that uh, that we we need to to learn and to develop along the way. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about this this message, I was thinking about really the the value of, of, of kind of living up to your potential. Uh, the, the potential that that God has has placed uh, within you, and, and I thought about athletes through the years, and uh, some have known more closely, some just certainly at a far, far, far distance. But uh, but some that maybe you've seen them, maybe you even had some in the school systems you grew up in, or something. But they just they they just they kind of won the lottery. When it came to like the genetic pool, right? I mean, it's just like, wow, they were just, they had such, such giftedness and ability and talent and coordination and all of these things and the right muscle fibers. And I mean, they just, they just had this, this incredible potential. And sometimes you'd see some of those athletes, and particularly at a kind of a high school level, they, they, they didn't even really have to work very hard because they were just so much more talented than everybody else. And so they could just almost kind of just glide through there. But sometimes you would see some of those athletes did not excel at the next levels. And part of it is sometimes you would see an athlete who had such incredible giftedness, such incredible potential, but for a wide variety of reasons, they maybe frittered it away. They didn't live up to the potential that they had. They didn't live up to and live out fully all the giftedness that they had been entrusted to. Sometimes we call them a bust or underachiever. On the other end of the spectrum are those guys and gals that uh, when you looked at them, you know, they didn't, they didn't necessarily win the genetic lottery there, right? I mean, they, they're not that big. They're not that fast. They, 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 they didn't have all the strength that others did, but somehow they kept showing up and somehow they would be the one who would come up with a loose ball or make the play at the right time or whatever it might be. And you, you would just see some of these kids and it's like you would look at them and say there's no way that you're an athlete and yet you know if you'd watch them on the field or on the court they would just say how boy they they're an overachiever I mean they they really are doing great and sometimes a coach would get real frustrated a coach would get frustrated he would say if there was just some way if there was just some way I could take that kid's heart and put it into that kid's body <laughs> Then, then I would really have something, right? Then I would really have something. You know, I think God has placed a potential, a calling in every one of our lives. 
And he did it from the very beginning. That we were intentionally created by God in his image. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That God has, has created you by design with an incredible potential, an incredible capacity. That you and I were uniquely created in all of God's creation. And what a majestic creation it is. But in all of God's creation, we were the ones designed with the very image of God. It is part of our DNA from the very beginning. You were birthed with that potential. And yes, that potential has been distorted and scarred and gets sidetracked by sin along the way, but God wasn't satisfied to allow that to stand. And so even in the face of sin, he intervened through the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he offers to us new life with a new life and new potential. Paul describes it this way, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That in Jesus Christ, you have this capacity to have a, a, a new restoration of the life, the purpose, the potential that God designed you for. There are things that he uniquely wants to do in and through your life. And he not only built that into you, but scripture says that he is committed to drawing that out of you. One of the examples is in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That God is, is so committed to calling out what he has placed within you that he will sovereignly work in all circumstances, the good ones and the hard ones, the, the, the challenging ones and the, the ones that seem relatively smooth sailing, he will work in all those circumstances to call forth the fullness of the image of his son that he has put within you through creation and through the new birth in Jesus Christ. And all of that comes together as we think about this theme of living joyfully with this statement. Joy is found as we become the person that God has created us to be. That there is something soul-satisfying. There is something joy-nourishing when we live fully as the man or the woman that God's created us to be. And I know none of us hit it 100%, but as, as our life is increasingly bent in that direction, as we are moving in that direction, we experience more and more of God's joy in our life. We experience it by becoming the person that he has created us to be. In this section of this letter to the Philippians, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 2, 
Paul kind of gives some words that I think help us, help us to, to, to grow into the person that God has created us to be, to call forth that which God has placed within us. And, and so I, I want to invite you just to kind of, kind of look at this uh, section of the letter with me this morning and, and kind of with this idea of, of how do I call out, how do I grow into the person that God has created me to be. And before we jump into those reasons, let me just say this kind of to frame it. Another sports story. I'll have several today because I just was thinking sports. Years ago, some of you are probably even too young to remember this, this gymnast. Uh, I was a United States Olympic gymnast. And she, uh, very gifted, worked very hard. Uh, she came up just short of the gold medal. I think got a silver here. And somebody asked her, you know, you know, are you, you know, just disappointed? And certainly all these things. But, but, but she said, you know, I, I, my grandmother and my mother told me something through the years I've never forgot. And they said, it is more important to be your best than to be the best. It's more important to be your best than to be the best. When we talk about living up to the potential, living out the calling that God has placed in your life, it's not about comparing you to anybody else. It is about you uniquely being the man or the woman that God has called you to be. Be your best, not necessarily worried about being the best. So how do I grow into the person that God has created me to be? Well, the first thing that Paul writes to the Philippians is work out. Work out what God has given you. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved. Now, let's pause right there. We just looked last week at this incredible first 11 verses of this chapter. And the highlight of it is just the greatness of God, the greatness of Jesus Christ. And it kind of ends with that one wonderful crescendo that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before him. In light of the greatness of God, you and I are called to live out that which God has placed within us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, there's lots there, so let's kind of walk through it a phrase at a time. The first calling is to, to work out. Please be crystal clear. Every time I teach on this, I want to make sure nobody walks away misunderstanding. It is not walk, work for your salvation. That only comes as a gift through Jesus Christ by his grace, and we receive it uh, by faith, uh, not as a result of work so that no one can boast. It is never work for your salvation, but to work out your salvation. It is to work out the implications of your salvation, this uh, image of God that you were created with originally, this, this restoration, this new birth, this new life, this new potential that you have if you are in Jesus Christ, to begin to work that out in every area of your life. And notice it is your own salvation, your own salvation. It is a unique individual assignment. Nobody else can do this for you. 
As a parent, you can't do it for your child. You can't do it for your spouse. You can't do it for anybody else. Nobody else can do it for you. You have to accept personal responsibility. This is something that I have to own. I have to own this calling. I have to own what God has entrusted to me. And how do you begin to work out what God has given you? Well, the first word he tells us is to obey. It's about obedience obedience. He he talks about the fact that as you have always obeyed, and what that reminds us of is consistent consistent. If I'm going to live out my potential, it's going to be because I consistently line up my life with God's design. I consistently walk in obedience when I feel like it and when I don't feel like it, Uh, when it's popular and when it's not popular. But I consistently walk in the pathway of obedience. And then he talks about, and I know that you're doing this not just when I'm around, not only in my presence, but even much more so in his absence. And this is about uh, an obedience that is mature. It is mature. It's not just in my presence. Sometimes sometimes we just do things when when somebody's around. It's kind of like parenting. And and many of us are are parents. And if you're you're parenting, there are things that you want to instill in your child. And at first, the only time they really do it is when you're around, right? Right? So you're kind of like, what do you say when somebody gives you something? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Okay, right. And you kind of you get reinforced and reinforced. Well, the the hope is not that they will say thank you every time you're around, right? The desire is that they will begin to make that part of their life and that that will be part of who they are going forward, even in your absence. Now, we we apply that to children, but can I just take a little bit of a side trip here and say we need to keep applying that to ourselves as adults. There may be some areas where you're finding it challenging to obey. Maybe an area where you're finding it challenging to be kind of disciplined in this area. And one of those kind of explosive truths is borrow others' discipline until you develop self-discipline. Borrow others' discipline until you can develop self-discipline. So a parent says, what do you say when somebody says that other, it's outside discipline, it's outside structure to encourage this until it becomes internalized. If there's an area of my life, there's an area of your life where maybe you kind of feel like I, I, I kind of keep hitting my head, this is a tough area for me to obey. It's different for every one of us. Maybe it's different at different seasons of your life. And you may feel like, well, I've tried, I can't do it. Well, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Allow other people to come in. Maybe it's just, I, I want you to check in with me occasionally, see how I'm doing. If you see me kind of veering off, would you, would you love me enough to kind of call me on that? Would you uh, check in with an email or a text or a phone call or whatever occasion, just to check how it's going along the way? So we invite others, and they kind of help give us some of that structure and support others' discipline until we develop self-discipline, others' control until we develop self-control in those areas. And it's one of the ways that we grow in obedience. And obedience is the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a mark of someone who is growing into their potential. Jesus put it this way. And by this we know that we've come to know him. 
If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's strong, isn't it? And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We, we begin to walk in obedience because of his love. It is the, one of the ways that we say, I love you, I value you. you, you are central in my life. I walk in his ways, and I mature in my capacity to be able to do that. Obedience, but he also talks about attitude. When you work out what God has given you, do it with the right attitude. He uses the word fear and trembling. And, and when we read that in English, we start to perhaps think cowering, right? I'm afraid God's going to zap me if I, if I don't walk right if I don't do right, if I mess up along the way. That, that's not what, what Paul is conveying here. What he is seeking to convey is not this, this fear of the, the zapping of God the moment you mess up, but a wholesome, healthy, reverential awe for God. That's in part why this grows right out of just his description of Jesus Christ in the first 11 verses. When you, when you understand the greatness of God, you, you want to walk in his ways. You want to please him. You want to serve him. You, you want your life to align with his best because you know that who he is and what he has done for you. And you do it with a sense of dependent responsibility. Dependent responsibility. For it is God who works in you. Yes, we are to work out what God has worked in, but we do so with a knowledge that we are dependent upon God's Spirit to work within us. That if, that if God is not working within us, we don't even have the desire or the capacity to live up to our God-given potential and purpose. But it is God who works in me, both to will, to create that desire, and to work to have the energy and the capacity and the capability to live up to the, play, the, the calling and the purpose of my life. When Paul was talking about fulfilling his ministry and fulfilling his purpose and potential, he wrote to the Colossians with these words, for this I toil, as he's investing in their life and their maturity, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Notice that, that wonderful blending there. He didn't say, God works at me, so I just sit back. No, he says, I toil, I struggle, he labors, but he does so knowing that it is with the energy, his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That, that, is, that is part of what it looks like to, to work out. Warren Wearsby commenting on this says, there's two types of people in the world. There's the up and down people and the in and out people. The up and down people, uh, just kind of depending on the circumstances, depending upon the situation, they'll, they, they'll kind of be up, they'll be down, they'll, they'll maybe walk in obedience, and then when it gets hard, they, they won't, and so they're, they, they, they're up and down. But in and out people kind of operate from the inside out. So God is at work within them. And they, they work that out. They, they work it out. They, they, they begin to live out the implications of that on a good day and on a challenging day. On a, in a season where everything seems golden and a season where everything seems broken. 
They, they, regardless of that, they're not up and down because they're operating in to out, in to out. That's the life that he has called us to live and to do so for his good pleasure. Pleasure. That, that God is at work and it, it, it brings pleasure to him when I walk in obedience, when I live up to and begin to live out of the purpose and potential that he has for my life. It brings pleasure to God. And, and here's the thing. Here's the connection. Working out our salvation brings pleasure to God and joy to us as we become the people that God created us to be. I'm convinced that that's why so many people try to accumulate so much stuff or they, they fill their time with, with so many hobbies or, or kind of give, give major weight to things that are so minor in the scope of things because there's almost that, that emptiness, that emptiness, that lack of fulfillment and joy that comes when we're not living in alignment with the person that God has created us to be, when we're not living for his good pleasure. But when I work it out, when I begin to live more and more in alignment with his pleasure, with my potential, it not only brings pleasure to God, but it brings joy to me as I become the person that God has created me to be. As we think about this, let me take you back in history because I I want you to make sure, and I'm spending a lot of time on this point intentionally because this is kind of the core of it here. April 18th, 1946. Jackie Robinson made his debut as the first black player in the modern era of the major leagues. He hit a three-run homer over the left field fence in the third inning of his first game. As he was crossing home plate, this iconic picture was taken by an AP reporter. The next batter up, George Shuba, extended his hand in a congratulatory gesture. An Associated Press photographer who captured it understood that it was kind of a decisive moment. It was a small handshake, but it was a giant leap for racial equality in professional sports. Now, we could talk a long, long time about Jackie Robinson and even Faith and everything else that was a part of that. Uh, But I want to actually spend just a few moments on George Shotgun Shuba. George Shotgun Shuba went on to play seven seasons for the Brooklyn Dodgers and was on the 1955 World Series championship team. In his celebrated book, The The Boys of Summer, Roger Kahn described Shuba's swing with these words, as natural as a smile. (laughs) That's a sweet swing, isn't it? Natural as a smile. But Shuba laughed when he heard Kahn's description. And during an interview with Khan, Shuba had him in his home there, and he walks over to a filing cabinet. And, and Shuba pulls out, he opens the filing cabinet, he pulls out a chart that's marked with a lot of X's. And during the off-season, Shuba would swing a weighted back 600 times a day. Now understand, he did this after he worked his off-season job full-time because athletes didn't get paid like anything like athletes do today back in those days. And so when he wasn't playing baseball, he had to work another job to make ends meet. So after he works this job, he comes and every day he's swinging this bat 600 times. This is how he would do it. Every night he takes 60 swings. And then he'd mark an X. 
And then he would take another 60 swings, mark off an X. After 10 X's, he'd give himself permission to go to bed. Shuba practiced that daily ritual for 15 years. So he's sitting across from Khan and he's saying, you call that natural? <laughs> he said, I swing a 44-ounce bat over 600 times a night, 4,200 times a week, 47,200 swings every single winter. <laughs> natural is a smile. <laughs> you see... Some people are certainly more naturally gifted than others. But unless that giftedness is complemented with a work ethic, it'll only result in wasted potential. You can't just pray as if everything depends upon God, but you also have to work as if everything depended upon you. You have to have a work ethic and a prayer ethic to be the person that God has created you to be. Work out what God has placed within you. But secondly, he says, don't get worked up. Don't get worked up. If you're going to be the man or the woman that God's created you to be, don't get worked up. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. The great words that he chooses there, grumbling. It's kind of that private complaining under one's breath, right? And we've all done it, have we not? Just loud enough for us to hear it, and sometimes we kind of want somebody else to hear it too. But we just kind of do it under our breath, right? A little passive-aggressive sometimes. But we do. It's a grumbling, right? And he also uses the word disputing. This is, this is somebody who has a, a contentious spirit. When he talks about this grumbling and disputing, he's talking about an attitude of the heart and a tone of the voice. Uh, you've known you've known two people that can can say just i mean they can use the exact same vocabulary but it sounds radically different same sentence but radically different because one's coming from a heart posture maybe of of humility of love of care of concern one's coming from a heart posture of grumbling and disputing along the way hear me hear me this morning You are never going to be the man or the woman that God's created you to be if you allow grumbling and disputing in a contentious spirit to overtake your life. There are folks that always have a complaint, always are whining about something, right? And I, just, I can't almost I can't even say that word whining without it feeling like whining. Right? I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah. why do you do that? Why would you settle for that? Why would you let that steal the life and the potential that God has placed within you? Not work it out, but get, don't get worked up. Sometimes we major on minors. We express that grumbling and that disputing toward others, toward our circumstances, but ultimately toward God. God, why don't you allow this to happen? God, this shouldn't. God, I didn't get a break. God, da, 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 da. Right? Don't get 
worked up. Do not get worked up. It'll never lead you to your potential. And then he says, live distinctly. If you're going to be the man or the woman God's created you to be, you're going to have to live distinctly. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That if you're going to be that man or woman, you're going to have to live differently from the world around you. Our lives should give compelling evidence that we are children of God, that we belong to him. In the financial world, Dave Ramsey's made a fortune. Uh, one, of, one of the ways that Dave Ramsey talks about it is, he says, you don't want to be normal. Normal is broke. Normal in America is paycheck to paycheck. He said, you need to live weird, right? You need to, to live differently and distinctly. And it's not just in the area of how we handle our stuff. It's in the areas of how we handle our life. That we are to live distinctly in a world that, 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 is, that is crooked, in a world that is so often twisted to live as those blameless and innocent children of God in a world of darkness to shine forth as lights that we are to live lives of distinction when Jesus prayed for us he when he prayed that high priestly prayer in John 17 for his disciples for those who would come after them he prayed not that we would be like taken out of this world, but we would be empowered and we would live distinctly within this world. But now I am coming to you, he prayed to the Father. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy, a connection between living distinctly and joy, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Sometimes we say, oh God, I, I could live out my potential if, if, if I was just surrounded by a better world. <laughs> No, live distinctly right smack dab in the middle of the world that God has placed you. Listen, if you want to fulfill your potential, if you want to make a kingdom impact, you can't conform to the culture. You have to live distinctly in the midst of whatever culture God has put you in. In order to fulfill my potential, in order for you to fulfill your potential and your calling, you're going to have to be weird. You're going to have to live distinctly and at times counter-culturally. And as you do that, live and speak the word. Live and speak the word of God. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
He talks about holding fast to the word of life. It can also be fairly translated, holding forth the word of life. Part of the calling to live distinctly, part of the calling to live up to the purposes of God is to be a man or woman who is grounded in the word of God. And so you hold fast to it yourself, but you also hold it forth for others. You hold it forth by the life that you live and the words that you speak. That's why it's live and speak the word. It's deeds and words. It's, it's, it's life and lips that are aligned with the word. John MacArthur puts it this way, just as right doctrine without right character is hypocritical and ineffective, so also is right living ineffective if believers are not proclaiming gospel truth. I have to live and speak the word. That's part of the purpose that God has called you to. That's part of living distinctly in this world. Live with right character. Yes, have right doctrine. But right living and right thinking alone is not enough. There also has to be speaking, proclaiming the gospel truth. To live up to my potential, I have to live and speak the word. Fifthly, in this section of scripture, he reminds us to serve the church. Part of God's design for you and I is to live life connected to others, in community with others. So that as Paul is is writing about his investment in these believers in Philippi, he said, I want to run not in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and will rejoice with you all. He's using this Old Testament picture here. It's the Old Testament picture of a drink offering to communicate their mutual life, their serving of God and of one another. A drink offering in the Old Testament would have been poured out either on top of or in front of another offering. So there, there might be this, this animal offering on this altar. And the drink offering would be poured. And, and you know what happens if you have this real hot surface, right? And you, you pour this drink. And you can just hear the sound, right? And, and this, this vapor, this, this steam rises. And, and the drink offering symbolized this, this offering going up to God. And Paul draws on that. And he says, you know, the life that they're living, he has invested in their, he has labored among them. And he now looks at that and, and he said the life that they're living and the, the, the sacrifices that they're making and living out the purpose and potential that God has placed within them. He kind of sees what he does is kind of a, on top of that or in support of that or in community with that. And it's that mutual life and serving God and serving one another. Hear me, if you're going to live out God's purpose, if you're going to fulfill the potential that God's placed within you, you've got to be connected to Christ's body. 
You've got to be serving God and serving others. Paul didn't try to live out the calling in isolation. He lived it out in community. He lived it out in connectedness with other people. That's why we desperately want you to get connected. That's why we don't want you to settle for just sitting in rows, but we want you to be in those smaller environments where you can begin to know each other. We want to challenge you to serve in the way that God has gifted you because it's part of fulfilling the potential that God's placed within you. It's part of the pathway to the joy that God wants you to live with. John put it this way, and and by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Uh, Part of what Jesus modeled for us was, was giving ourselves away. And in giving ourselves away in service, we experience the flow of God's joy. One other observation just from this section of this letter. In order to grow up into the person that God created me to be, I have to share the joy. I have to share the joy. At the end of verse 17, he he talked about uh, being glad. I am glad and rejoice with you all, verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Part of potential, part of purpose in connectedness and community is, is to share life and to share the joy. You and I are called to be these, these conduits, these channels of joy into the lives of other people. It's not just about me. And sometimes when the world talks about potential, it's like me and me getting ahead of everybody else and that sort of thing. That, that's not the biblical idea of purpose and potential. It's about being the man of the woman that God's created me to be, but serving other people, being a conduit of the life of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, the joy of Jesus Christ into the lives of others. If, if I don't share that, if I don't share that, I, I, I cut off. It's like, it's like a pond that begins to stagnate because the water doesn't flow through it. It is to flow out of my life into the lives of other people. Work out what God has placed within you. Uh, but, but do it uh, with that sense of, of community and connectedness, knowing that you're going to have to, to live distinctly. You're going to have to work hard at it with the energy that he provides. You're going to have to live and speak the truth of God's word along the way. You're going to have to give up what the world wants to do when it comes to grumbling and criticizing and complaining and whining, but you can live the life that God designed you for. In many ways, what the Bible calls us to is so counterintuitive. Because we think in order to live joyfully, I need to focus on me. I need to focus on getting. I need to focus on accumulation. I need to focus on recognition and all of those things. But what Paul reminds us of is what Jesus called us to, and that is to live counterculturally, to live counterintuitively, to discover that your potential, your purpose, and your joy is found not in holding on to your life, but in giving away your life. Jesus put it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
Paul would say from a prison cell, amen, amen. When you pursue God's agenda for your life, when you walk in obedience, when you begin to to allow your life to be a conduit into the lives of other people, it is then that you truly discover the joy. Now, I want to wrap this up, and and honestly, as I was just kind of praying over this, I I don't know who, but I just... I said, Lord, I just feel like there's somebody. There's somebody this morning that needed to hear this word. Now, there, there's somebody here that needs to be reminded of the potential that you have placed within them. That they are not an accident, but that you have a purpose that you're wanting to fulfill in and through their life. There's somebody here this morning that just needs to be reminded that your past does not have to define you any longer. That needs to be reminded that your circumstances, whatever you're in the middle of right now, doesn't have to define you. I want to remind you again this morning what I have been trying to say to some of you for years, that the truest thing about you is what God says about you. It's not necessarily what the culture says about you. It may not even be what your parents or teacher or coach said about you. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. And he said that you were created intentionally, on purpose, in the image of God. That you have, if you are in Jesus Christ, been recreated and you have a new life and a new potential and a new capacity and a new purpose to remind you that you are not in this thing alone, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That if you are in Jesus Christ, that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in in you, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think and imagine. I'm going to remind you today and challenge you today, don't you settle for the American dream. You were created for more than that. And listen, I love the country we live in. I love the material resources. I I enjoy it. We are so incredibly blessed. But don't let that define you. You were created for more than that. Don't settle for the American dream. Go after God's dream. God's dream for your life. God's purpose that he created and recreated you for in Jesus Christ. Pursue it all out with the energy that he provides. Remind yourself every single day that God is with you, that God is for you, that God is at work all around you, and that God indwells you. Remember, wherever today finds you, it is never, never too late to become the person you might have been. George Bernard Shaw, certainly no friend of the church, but he was asked one time, if you could come back and live life as 
any person in history, who would you come back as? You thought for just a moment. He said, I would come back as the man that George Bernard Shaw should have been and could have been. It's not too late. It's not too early to become the man, to become the woman that God created you to be. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, there, there are people in this room right here, right now, that you are speaking to. You're speaking to them about purpose and potential and calling. You're, Father, reminding them that you're not finished with them yet. You're challenging them to work out passionately what you have placed within them. And Father, I pray that you would just arrest our attention to you in these next few moments. Father, I pray that you would, would help us to just combat the distractions of the enemy in these moments. And Lord, right here, right now, we just come before you to say, speak, speak. Your servants are indeed listening. And as you just sit before the Lord right now, I'm just going to invite you in this, in this posture of prayer to just say, God, what does it look like for me to become the man or the woman that you created me to be? We have some questions in a box that might help you if, to prompt you, but use those as a resource and Maybe you don't need a question today because God's already put his finger right on you and you know, you know what he's speaking to you about. You know what he is calling you to. For some of you, it's a word of comfort. It's a word of of reminder today. For some of you, it's a word of challenge. It's a word of get up and get with it. What is it that God's saying to you? For some of you, maybe the most foundational level of all, today you may sense God saying, you can't be who I created you to be apart from Jesus Christ. And today he's calling you to, to turn from sin and self and place your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Coming to him not only as the forgiver of your sin, but the rightful leader and Lord of your life. And I'm just going to ask you today, if, if, if that's what God's speaking to you about, then, then in just a moment as, as, as we break, you break for the connect room in the back of our worship space. There's going to be some folks there that they, they want to talk to you about what it means for you to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to allow the life of Jesus Christ to live in you, to be displayed through you. Let today be that day. Perhaps many of us in the room, it's just about, God, what's next? What's that next step? Where do I need to obey you right now? What do I need to say yes to? What do I need to say no to? What does it look like for me to begin to live out a little more the man or the woman that you have created me to be? 
I hope that'll be the reflection that'll take you throughout this week and in some sense throughout the rest of your life. Because no matter where this morning finds you, it is never too late. It's never too late to become the person that God created you to be.